Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. I'm your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. Thank you so much for listening. Every other week, I interview a chef, a pastry chef or a bartender, so you can discover their secret behind the scenes. What are their creative process? Where is their inspiration coming from? And who are the chefs and the bartenders that they are looking up to? Today is episode number two, and you can find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. Click on the episode page. I am really pleased to have Chef Rebecca Wilcom from Herb Saint in New Orleans as a guest on the show. Listen how local produce inspire her menu, combining Italian and Southern elements. Discover her unique ingredient that you can use to give a special spin to your home recipes. And then she will share with us her upcoming exciting new adventure in the Big Easy. Hi, Chef, and welcome to Flavors Unknown. Thanks so much for having me. So how would you describe your job in 10 words? I mean, that's a tough one because my job has so many different areas that I focus on. But I guess my focus is on company growth and employee happiness and overall guest experience. So tell me more about the company growth. So the company started with Herb Saint. Donald Link started it in 2001. And, uh, excuse me, 2000. And then, you know, we went on and opened Koshan and Pesh and Butcher. We're working on a new project. So company growth and I think is the focus for a lot of people, a lot of the, you know, upper management in the company providing employee opportunities for our employees and employee growth. And, you know, all the while focusing on you know, quality of food and overall guest experience, you know, and obviously hospitality too, but growing at a rate that we can, we can sustain and uh, comfortably sustain is really, really important to us. What would be your advice for the chef who might be listening and want to expand their business? What is the most important things to keep in mind? I think the most important thing is to not grow too quickly to make sure that you have the staff in place who are ready to grow and, you know, without hurting your, your foundation. So not grow too quickly and, and, you know, make sure that the focus is providing opportunity for the staff. And how do you come up with um, the different concepts, you know, for the restaurant? That's been all Donald and Steven. I think the, the concepts come from the person who's going to be in place, the chef partner is going to be in place and the staff that's going to be in place. And, also, you know, what we're passionate about. So Koshan opened because, you know, Donald's heritage is Southern Cajun. Pesh opened because we wanted to highlight the, the bounty of the, you know, Gulf seafood and New Orleans seafood. And, you know, the new restaurant's opening because of my Italian heritage. So there has to be a story there that's really, really important. So tell us more about Herb Saint and, and the day you realized that it was the place for you yet? Oh, um, I don't know if there was a specific day. Maybe it was my stage. I mean, I've been at Herb Saint for 10 years. I moved down from, from Boston. I did a lot of research before I moved down. 
And I knew I wanted to work for Donald. We just kind of had a similar view on life and on restaurants and stashed at Herb Saint and just tasting the food and seeing how the team interacted with each other and feeling the energy in the restaurant really, really drew me in and really, I don't know, I just really wanted to be there. It felt good there. It feels good in that, in that space. The energy is good. So I've just, I've, I've always loved it. I fell in love day one. Who has been your most influential mentors before Donald? Donald's been my mentor for the last 10 years. He's now my business partner or one of them. You know, I've had other mentors too, though. Keith Pooler. When I first started cooking, I, I started at this place in Cambridge, Massachusetts called The Harvest. And Keith Pooler was the chef there at the time. And he was certainly a huge influence on me. I mean, he laid the foundation, a really strong foundation for, for my career in the kitchen, taught me fundamentals. He did all of that too in, the, in his own way. I mean, kindness and patience and a great sense of humor and a great team. So he was certainly a huge influence in the beginning of my career. And also obviously that carries through, you know, personal mentors, obviously my, my parents were huge, my grandmother, but you know, you kind of, the, the great thing about working in, in this field is that there are so many people influence you. I mean, I come in contact with so many chefs all the time and they certainly have taught me so much. So get me through the story that com- what compelled you uh, to become a chef. I, I became a chef because I love to cook and I love to cook because I love to eat. You know, I lo- I've grown up always loving to eat food. And then I started cooking, you know, when I was young, just at home and watching my grandmother and eating her food. You know, and then I started working in restaurants and I fell in love with restaurants. And so the two worlds kind of came together where I love to, to cook and I love restaurants. And, you know, I worked in the front for a long time. I worked as a, as a server and a bartender. But my true love is in the kitchen and cooking food and leading a team back there. So I guess I fell in love with food and restaurants at an early age, but never really realized it until I started working in a restaurant. And when you're talking about your grandmother, it takes place in Italy, correct? In Italy, yeah. My mom is from Italy. You know, that whole side of the family lives over there. And uh, we would visit pretty often. My dad was in the army when I was growing up. So we had the opportunity to live in Germany and be close to Italy. So we got, I got to spend a good bit of time with them when I was growing up. Obviously, Italian families, I mean, everything revolves around the dinner table and the lunch table, you know, so that was a huge influence on me my entire life and obviously still today. So how do you uh, combine, I would say, probably your passion for Southern ingredients and uh, your Italian heritage? I mean, New Orleans is great. It's surrounded by a lot of farms outside of the city. And we have a great farm network that we work with. Great seafood coming out of the Gulf. I mean, Italian food is simple. It's rustic. It's ingredient driven. You know, it's fresh. So that kind of falls right in line with all of the ingredients that are available here. I mean. You know, this city has a long history of Italian immigrants and the Creole Italian food here has certainly taken on an entity of its own easily. I mean, there's so much fresh, great ingredients here. So it's the same as in Italy. You have been obviously combining those Italian ingredients and Southern recipes or Thousand ingredients. Um, We hear today a lot about 
new influences that are happening, you know, throughout the South. We read, you know, everywhere about the Southern revival. What does that mean to you? Southern revival that, you know, I, I haven't, I've only lived in the South for 10 years, so I didn't grow up here. You know, I spent some of my childhood in, in Texas, but it's difficult for me to pinpoint what like new influences are and what has always been here because I always, I haven't always been here, but I guess what Southern revival means to me is a, a I guess a broader sharing and influence and celebration, you know, of what's going on in the South. I mean, people, all over just seemed to really have grabbed onto and formed a connection with Southern food and drink and music and art. You know, hospitality is at the core of Southern culture. It's, it's hard not to be drawn in by that. So I think people are just really, you know, excited about Southern culture all over. So you are a member of the Southern Food Way Alliance. Can you tell us more about this organization and what do you do there? Sure. It's a great organization that promotes and curates and traditions in food and southern food and food and drink and, you know, traditional foodways in in the South. I'm I'm a member, so I participate in some of the events that they have um year round. Just did a dinner several weeks back that, you know, raised money for the for the Southern Foodways Alliance. But it's it's just a great community of people and uh, who who you know are like minded in in preserving Southern foodway traditions. So, what excites you about the Southern Pantry? The Southern Pantry, I guess, preserving. Again, I'm I'm very heavily influenced by the the food of of Italy, and I I really like the connection of of the the history of preserving. So pickling and you know hot sauces and preserving and jams and so that that to me is really exciting that connection there there's a lot of similarities between Italy and the south in that way i think it's because of the you know historically the the people of both have been there've been a pretty large population of of people who grow their own food preserve their own food so that that's pretty exciting to me so can you name some of those you know, similar ingredients between Italy and, and the South or maybe ingredients that combines well together? Sure. I mean, chilies. You see a lot of chilies and peppers, especially in Southern Italy. In New Orleans, they're used quite a bit. Eggplant, things like shrimp and crab and what else? I mean, you know, a lot. The tomato is used a lot in the South and also in Italy. So yeah, those are, those are some, some big ones. So I would like now that you describe us your creative process. That's a hard one. <laughs> I'm influenced by ingredients and by places and by stories, by people. So the creative process, you know, I wish I could tell you there was a formula that I use, but there isn't. You know, it's all instinct and and gut and feeling. When it comes to food, I the, the ingredient is what inspires me. Kind of just go from there. It's hard to describe exactly what that that process is, but I guess for me, the idea is always to stay true to the ingredient and prepare it in the way that, I don't know, that, that makes it shine. If we take an example of the menu, I'm saying, like the Louisiana shrimp and fish ceviche with the cucumbers and the pepitas. Mm -hmm. So maybe can you focus on that dish and, and explain, you know, what the dish is first and then what was the creative process behind it? Sure. 
the dish. So the ceviche, it's not a traditional ceviche where the, the fish is marinated, you know, in the citrus for a while until the fish cooks. It's actually, you know, marinated a la minute. So, you know, that dish came about from, that's a col- collaboration between me and Donald. He took a trip to Mexico. He came back. He was so excited about the ceviche as he had, he had, had. you know, as someone who's always loved ceviche, I was excited by his, his stories about the ceviche he had had. And it happened to be summertime. So I looked around our walk-in and checked, you know, what was available from the farms. And summertime here, we're just swimming in chilies. And at that time, it happened to be cucumber and watermelon season two. We were seeing a lot of great, you know, melons. So, and obviously, you know, we have great seafood around. So we have, you know, a lot of dried chilies that we dry ourselves. And so I made a chili powder out of all the dried the different dry kind of medium heat fruity chilies that we had and mixed together a little marinade with lime juice and some white soy sauce and olive oil. And we get these great shrimp every day. We have this great shrimper Dino that we've been using for, you know, 18 years and he goes out in the Gulf and, or, you know, wherever his hidden spots are and gets great shrimp. And then they're, they're in our kitchen, you know, three or four hours out of the water. We get them every morning. So those are obviously a huge inspiration we take Louisiana small shrimp and poach them. And then whatever fish we have around, we use a good bit of fish on our menu. So usually we have some yellowfin tuna out of the Gulf and then either, you know, drum or flounder or cobia and just dice those up with some great, you know, cucumbers and watermelon and then finish off the dish with a little bit of toasted pepita for crunch. But yeah, I mean, that that was that's a dish that's truly inspired by travel, but then also by the ingredients that the great ingredients that we get to use and see every day here um, in the summertime in Louisiana. Can you describe the partnership or the collaboration that you guys have with the local farmers and fishermen? So as a company, we have Forager that we've taken on. We've been working with her for the last six years or so, but she's She's a great addition to the company and has, you know, really forged some really meaningful relationships with many farms in the area and, you know, dairy producers in the area, ranchers, fishermen. We have many farms that we work with and, you know, talk to about what we want them to grow and what actually works here and what we want to try and what they're interested in trying, you know, and what that looks like. And, you know, we help them by buying all the product and, you know, we buy seeds and, and help them out and they help us out by growing great produce for us to use. We have some great fishermen that we work with. We have this great spear fisherman who goes out and catches, you know, cobia. Um, he scuba dives and spears them underwater, which is really cool and brings them to us. I mean, within hours, you know, we're really trying to develop more direct relationships with our fishermen. So we buy direct from them instead of going through a middleman or, you know, another company. And again, you know, I talked about Dino, our shrimper. I mean, he's he's key and he kind of started our love of forging really meaningful and close relationships and beneficial relationships, mutually beneficial relationships with farmers and fishermen. And, you know, we're starting to see really great Louisiana beef. We've, you know, one pig farmer in Mississippi that we buy all of our pigs from. I think Koshan and Butcher, between the two of them, get about eight pigs a week. You know, so we're getting whole fish, whole pigs. We've got another farm that we use in kind of further northern Mississippi where we get all of our goats and uh, lambs, herb saint. We get um, the busy season. We get about two of those a week. 
slower season in the summer, we get about one a week of each. So, you know, those relationships are really important to us. Again, the connection with the food is one of our priorities and, and that's what is kind of going back to the creative process. I mean, the, the ingredient is what inspires me and knowing the person who grows it is part of that connection and part of that inspiration. So you talk about the beef as um, important ingredients here. Can you describe the dish that you have made with it that you call like the Sicilian beef? Yeah, sure. The Sicilian beef, again, that's another dish that's inspired by travel and also local ingredients. I think about three years ago, we went to Sicily. We were sitting in this great little family restaurant and had this amazing kind of boiled tuna and tomato dish. And the tuna was so delicious and so meaty that, you know, I could have sworn it was beef. So when I got back from that trip, started playing with a boiled beef recipe using the Louisiana Wagyu beef and, you know, came up with this delicious poached beef and it's, it's a room temperature dish, you know, served with tomatoes and potatoes and anchovies and this, you know, olive caper vinaigrette. So it's bright and fresh, but, you know, again, using local ingredients, but inspired by a place that's, you know, half a world away. So after eight years being uh, like the chef de cuisine at Herb Saint, how do you keep your creativity fresh? Again, that goes back to traveling, not just, you know, outside of the country, but inside the country too, doing events with other chefs who inspire me. Uh, reading, I cook a lot at home. So that yeah, it keeps me kind of fresh and inspired. Cooking outside of the restaurant helps out a lot. But yeah, mostly I guess just travel and, and meeting other people and cooking with other chefs. And obviously the staff at Herb Saint inspires me too. You know, a lot of young cooks and sous chefs are really passionate. So that, that obviously is contagious. So in, in the male dominating industry, so what would be your advice to a young female cook? You know, who is trying to find a way and a voice in, in the kitchen? I would say, you know, my only piece of advice and what worked for me was keep pushing. Yeah, just keep pushing, be strong and work hard. You know, be careful who you work for, find a person or a place that, you know, you feel a connection to and just work hard and learn as much as you can. That's what I did. It seemed to work, so... <laughs> So what is the one tool of the piece of equipment in the kitchen that you can't live without? And I'm not talking about your knives. <laughs> Man, I think there, there are a lot of them. I'm going to throw this back to cooking at home as a good Dutch oven. You know, I use my Dutch ovens for everything from roasting chicken to frying things to, you know, making, I mean, everything. So a good Dutch oven. How would you suggest for people at home to source and select ingredients? You know, when you are not a chef and you don't have access to all those great ingredients that you talked about it. So how do you have access to, you know, for a home cook, to quality and, and fresh ingredients? Well, the good thing is, is that I think that those ingredients are becoming more accessible to everyone. I mean, I think farmer's markets, local butcher shops, you know, butcher shops are definitely making a comeback. 
So uh, and a lot of them are focusing on good, you know, sustainable, humanely raised meats, responsible fish markets. I wish there were more of them, but, you know, hopefully those will will start, you know, making comeback to, you know, I think my advice would be to shop at reputable places, you know, use sources you trust, but the internet's also a great source for, for, you know, dry ingredients, hard to find kind of international dry ingredients, but farmer's markets are a big one. Cause a lot of times too, you can find, at least in New Orleans, you can find local seafood and meat at the farmer's market. So what ingredients is irreplaceable to you? Why? I'm going to have to go with good olive oil. Can't really live without it. I use it, you know, on everything. I don't, I don't use, I'm not a big butter person. So I think olive oil, it's a great base to create a dish with like deep, you know, layers of flavor or it can be used to finish a dish. I mean, like when I make a steak, I drizzle olive oil on it. You know, when I cook a piece of fish, I finish it by drizzling olive oil on it. Olive oil, it's very important to me. And what unique and unfamiliar ingredients are finding your way through your menu recently? You know, that's a hard question too, because I use pretty straightforward ingredients. You know, obviously we've talked about how I naturally lean towards Italian food, which is simple and straightforward and ingredient driven. So I don't, I don't use anything super, you know, unfamiliar or unique. I mean, I, I use a lot of anchovies. I use a lot of olive oils. Another chef introduced me to this great, you know, lemon olive oil from Tuscany, which I've been using quite a bit. So it, maybe it's maybe it's that. <laughs> I mean, talking of anchovies, how would you suggest a home cook to uh, leverage, you know, anchovies in recipes? People need to think of anchovies as umami. So just another, you know, layer of flavor and salt and kind of deep rich seasoning. It's easy to use too many. So I would say, you know, if you're just starting to dabble in anchovies, start out, you know, small and and use a few of them and then see how you like it from there. They're a really great way to add depth to a dish. And when you're talking about using those anchovies, are you referring to fresh anchovies or are you referring to the one that the home cook can find on the shelves, you know, in a tin box with um, in olive oil? The ones you can find on the shelves in olive oil. I, you know, you can also find good salted anchovies too. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's hard to find fresh anchovies in just like, you know, a supermarket or even just a fish market. So I, I use a lot of the jarred ones. I use the Ortiz anchovies. I love those. The ones in olive oil, those are great. Which dish will you um, use them you know, to finish a dish or to add a layer? Everything. I mean, I use them from cooking a lamb roast and kind of, you know, using those in the braise or we were talking about the Sicilian beef dish earlier. I kind of use a, just use a whole anchovy and lay it on the beef. Um, I use them in pasta. They're great in pasta, pasta sauces, or even just, you know, tossed with some pasta and, and herbs and breadcrumbs. You can really use them in anything. Let's focus on one common ingredient, tomato. And I'm curious what one cook, like a home cook, can prepare, you know, with tomato, something unique and something new. The tomato, something unique and new with the tomato. (laughs) I make simple food. So I think with the tomato, I think having a delicious, perfect, ripe tomato in season 
with sea salt and olive oil and a little basil is perfect. But unique and new, I mean, I'm not sure how new it is, but I've been doing this thing where I I slice vegetables and planks, you know, either tomatoes or onions or zucchini and top them with breadcrumbs and put them under the broiler. So they're crispy and just a little bit soft and really delicious and drizzled with olive oil and sea salt. They're they're really delicious as like a, you know, a side dish or even a starter or an antipasto or something. So that might be something delicious and simple that you could do at home. Okay. So I want to ask you now uh, a series of uh, rapid fire questions. Okay. Where do you eat when you are off the clock in New Orleans? And I'm interested in those places that foodie cannot maybe find, you know, on Yelp or Google. Let's see. I eat at Margie's, Margie's Grill, uh, which is really awesome. Great Southeast Asian flavors combined with, you know, New Orleans flavors. It's really awesome. Where else? Hearst's Soul Food out on airline was really awesome. I'm sure you can't find them on Yelp, but that's really good, delicious, like, you know, home style soul food. It's really a really special place. During crawfish season, I like to head up to Lafayette or right around Lafayette and and get some really great crawfish from, you know, Hawks, which is a really great place. Get crawfish. They're delicious and huge and perfect. Hmm. Oh, Mosca's on the West Bank. Mosca's is this really great old school Italian restaurant still run by the Mosca family. It's been around for 80 years. I mean, it's, and it's got some really great, um, a little bit seedy history and the food's awesome. Hospitality is great. That place is really awesome. So thinking about chicken, are you baked or fried? Ooh, I'm both. I like them both. It's hard. It's hard to choose. That's a hard question. Um, I'm going to go... <laughs> I'm going to go with... Man, that's a hard question. I'm going to go with baked chicken on this one. The best thing about being a chef is... Watching cooks grow and learn and find their own way. (laughs) What's the worst thing about being a chef? The worst thing about being a chef is exposure. Having to talk about myself. (laughs) I think that that for me is the hardest part about about being a chef. So that's got to be the worst. What's your favorite cookbook? Oh, man, there's so many of them. Probably Cooking by Hand, Paul Bertoli, or anything by Marcella Hazan. And what's your go-to meal to cook for someone special? Oh, my go-to meal. I don't know if I have one of those. I'm going to go with lasagna on this one. It's a labor of love. So if it's somebody special, I'm going to, you know, take all day to make it. You have a special spin on it? I don't, I, no, I make it pretty classically. I make it like my nonna makes it. Thin layers of pasta and a little bit of bechamel and a, a sauce. I usually make a sugo, a lamb sugo or goat sugo or pork. Kind of dress lightly. It's almost like, you know, you're lightly dressing the noodles. So something that's light and delicate and not a heavy lasagna. Any anchovies on it? Nope, no anchovies there. (laughs) Not in that one. Surprise, surprise. Okay. So you are now after um, 10 years at Herb Saint and eight years being the chef de cuisine, you are going into a new adventure with the same group. You are going to open uh, Gianna. So in a few months. 
So can you talk to us about this new adventure? Yeah, Jana is, it's a restaurant that's opening in the spring. Same group, Link Restaurant Group, you know, partners, Donald and Steven and our longtime director of operations, Heather Lolly is also a partner. It's a, you know, an Italian restaurant. It's named after my grandmother, my nonna Gianna, uh, who's been a huge influence on my food and my love of food. So, you know, it's a, it's a restaurant that's going to focus on, on, you know, Italian uh, simplicity and sensibility using, you know, Louisiana ingredients and incorporating the Italian hospitality. So I'm really excited about it. How is it going to be uh, different from Herb Saint? Well, the food will be very different. <laughs> the service style might be a little bit different, focusing on some larger format dishes and family-style dining. You know, it's a place that you're going to be able to come and get a few, either get, you know, sit at the bar or a table and get a few antipasti and some classic Italian cocktails, or you can come in with your whole family or big group of friends and get, you know, a giant, you know, feed me kind of situation. It's going to be a little bit bigger than Herb Saint, but the the food's going to be different. Herb Saint's pretty classic bistro food. So this will be a little more rustic country Italian. And where is going to be the, the location of Jana? Uh, you know, right around all of our other restaurants. So <laughs> it's about two blocks from Herb Saint, about two blocks from Pesh. We seem to love the Central Business District and the Warehouse District here. It's just a, it's a great, great neighborhood. So yeah, it's, you know, in the middle of the middle of everything, it seems. I wish you the best for uh, this new adventure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for being a guest on Favorite Unknown. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for joining me. Of course, if you are enjoying this show, I would love if you could leave a little review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.